Tom Woods Show, episode 1672. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, I have the best, nicest, smartest, brightest group of like-minded, friendly folks you can possibly imagine where we learn from each other, we get outraged with each other, we rejoice with each other. It's a wonderful community of folks, and you, as a loyal listener of The Tom Woods Show, belong inside it. It's called The Tom Woods Show Elite, and you can get in there via supportinglisteners.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. Pete Canonas is our guest today. You know Pete as host of the Free Man Beyond the Wall podcast, and he is here to talk about a brand new documentary that he played a very considerable role in called The Monopoly on Violence. And it's going to talk about the state and different ways of thinking about how to organize our lives together in society. It's very, very well done. And I couldn't be happier with how it went and with the opportunity to talk to Pete today. Pete, welcome back. Thanks for having me back, Tom. Well, I couldn't be happier to be talking about this project of yours. I just watched it. It's fantastic. It's so beautifully done. It went down roads I didn't expect it to go, which was nice because I've been around a while. I guess I figured I could predict what this was going to be about. But you took me down avenues where I didn't expect to be. And that made it even more interesting. I think the people you chose to feature, they were very well chosen. I have some favorites in there, but I knew almost all, but not quite all these folks. But altogether, it's a very, very impressive package. You crowdfunded this? Yes. Yeah. We, um, we thought we were going to get away with doing this for $15,000 because Chris, who is our director and editor was going to do all the editing. And, you know, it just turned out that people just kept giving money. So it ran us over, we got over 25,000 and that, that was nice because we used every penny of it and then money out of our pocket. And, uh, yeah, we had this being our first time, we had no idea what how much it was going to cost. But the travel, of course, turned out to be the most expensive thing. And having to go all the way... Actually, Chris moved to Oregon in the middle of this, and he had to go all the way across the country to get James Oh, he couldn't move to the Midwest, so he's equidistant from everything? (laughs) (laughs) So he went to get James Scott, and then James Scott pulled out. And then he came down the uh, East Coast and hit you and then went home to Oregon. And then James C. Scott was like, okay, I can do it now. Oh, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. But there was no way we could do this without him. I mean, what, what other anthropologists were we going to get? Oh, yeah. He really anchors it right from the very start. He really anchors it. I'm curious to know how, because I did not see, I don't think, I, I don't think I saw the crowdfunding. How did you pitch it so that it, it generated such a response? It was really just on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, that is it. You know, we just announced... No, what I mean is, how did you frame it in such a way that people wanted to give you money? We did a video. And we first thing we did was, when I was approached to be a part of this project, probably the main reason was is because I knew you and I'd interviewed Ron Paul and I'd interviewed all these people. So they're like, well, you can reach out to them, right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Yeah, no problem. Um, you know, they didn't know that, I, you know, I write and do other things too, which I ended up doing a lot of writing a lot of questions and some of the narration. But 
we just put together a video, like a crowdfund video. And I did the... Um, Chris put it together and edited it. And I did the narration for it. And we just put it out there. And we So what an, was it that you were promising people? When this thing comes out, it's going to accomplish the following things or it's going to cover the following material. We were going to do a documentary on anarchism and... We were going to concentrate on, there was going to be a bigger concentration on anarcho-capitalism than anything else. But we were going to talk about most fields of anarchism that, you know, from back in the 1800s forward. And we were just, we were going to try and sell it to the, give it to the public and see what the public thought about it. And people liked the idea. I mean, they, people, <laughs> I think we set this to crowdfund through Indiegogo for 60 days. And that original $15,000, we'd gotten 20. And then people just kept going after that. So I guess the video that we put out there explaining exactly what we were doing, we wanted to do something on anarchism. And we knew there was... There's an anarchism in America from the early 1980s that concentrates on uh, Carl Hess, Murray Bookchin, people like that. More of a, almost an agorist kind of uh, documentary. We knew that was out there, but we wanted to basically try to sell people on the fact that there's a better way to do this and that a society can be structured without force. I have a bunch of questions related to the inner workings of how you do something like this, but maybe we'll get to those in a little while. Let's talk about content here. That really is what I was driving at when I said I wasn't expecting some of the material that wound up in it. I wasn't expecting, let's say, the, um, the material on the, we might call the left anarchism uh, strains of thought. I thought it would just be our people talking about our ideas. And I thought that the way it, it treated these other strains of anarchism was more than respectful, did not ridicule them, try to make them appear ridiculous. And I know this wasn't the point, but I can't help thinking that if it had been in reverse and the left anarchists had made a documentary about anarchism, I don't think we would have been in it. But if we had, I don't think we would have been treated as kindly as you treated them. Well, they're the pioneers when you go back. I mean, their economics were you know, outrageous, but I'm some, I love reading Emma Goldman. Her books, her speeches, they're fantastic and they really speak to me about, you know, her hatred for the state. And, um, you know, just as an example, but yeah, we had, we had a couple people involved in the project who did a really good, have a really good working knowledge of the history of anarchism. And that one section that I think is seven and a half or eight minutes long, they put that together. It was two, um, it was Vinny and Bryce got together and did that section. And I think that that's like a section that could, one of those things that can be pulled right out of the movie and, you know, put anywhere so that people can learn about it. But yeah, you are right. The, uh, <laughs> if, if left anarchists made this, uh, we wouldn't be in it, but we've gotten feedback from left anarchists and they like the movie. They like the documentary. Wow. Um, and we tried to get, I, I asked Noam Chomsky, 
And we, we told him, we'll go to Arizona, we'll interview you. And he said no, and he recommended a couple other people, but the, I read some of the stuff a couple other people wrote, and it was more DSA kind of stuff. So um, we passed on it, but we, we tried to get, um, I, we actually nailed down David Graber. Are you familiar with David Graber? I am. Yeah, we nailed him down, but I don't want to say he flaked, but he just, the, the communication stopped. He was all set to do it. Chris has a cousin with, you know, 4K equipment that li- who lives in London, uh, where Graber lives, and we were going to set that up. We wanted to have a contrast from James C. Scott. It just never worked out. So, yeah, we were willing to talk to anyone about this. I would love, I would have loved to have Chomsky in it. I would have loved to have Graber in it. I would have, um, even some of the C4SS guys. It's just, you know, when... Not, by the way, not everybody it, listening knows who that is. Can you tell us? The Center for Stateless Society? Yeah, Center for Stateless Society, who I think they consider themselves to be left anarchists and left libertarians, but most of them are free marketers and everything. They tend to be a little boisterous and... Um, throw some bombs at you, but um, I like that kind of thing. So um, it doesn't really bother me a lot. The question I've always wanted to ask any documentary filmmaker is maybe a question that might be misplaced to you because I don't think this was your role, but you get all that raw material, all those interviews, all this footage, and then the process of figuring out what to put in there begins. And it just seems like it would be exhausting. You would have to go over the material again and again and again and, and get transcripts and mark out sections. And Did you have any hand in that? It just seems like that would suck all the life out of me. I did some of the transcriptions. I transcribed like David Gordon's part and um, <laughs> someone who hit the cutting room, cutting room floor, Lucas Dominic, who's a expert on, a Polish expert on uh, argumentation ethics, office argumentation ethics. And we actually asked Kinsella about that too, but that whole, we, we just saw, thought it was a non sequitur, so it hit the floor, um, but it will be in the bonus features on the Blu-ray. And I think we're going to upload bonus features to Amazon when we put it on Amazon. But what we did was after we got the transcripts done of every interview, it was Chris, Chris Kofer, our director who went through and subject, by, he's like, okay, this is how I want it to flow. And he broke it down and then he'd send it to me. And I think what originally what he sent to me was two hours, it was almost three hours. So once I saw how he had structured it and everything, then it was, okay, take this out, take this out, take this out. But Chris Kofer gets all the credit for that. He while we were doing all the transcribing and everything, he's piecing the puzzle together. And that's why he's the director on it, because he directed all of that, just how it was going to flow and how the story was going to be told. How did you conceive of your intended audience? That is to say, when you thought about who might be watching this, who is that? I mean, you could say, oh, well, anybody who might be curious. Yeah, true. But sometimes when you try to hit an audience of everyone, you don't hit anybody at all. So did you have anybody particular in mind? When we first, I mean, and this has been almost two years in the making, when we first started talking about this, we were talking about the fact that Netflix specifically was loaded with documentaries. And according to Netflix, people were watching them. So our idea was that if we can put something out that isn't 
overly technical and is visually, you know, visually not stunning, but appealing that people who are already watching documentaries and scrolling through them would be interested in seeing this. You know, it was originally called Stateless. Then we found out that there was another documentary being made called Stateless. So we just named the production company Stateless. And um, we went through, had discussions in a group and everything and came up with the monopoly on violence. But we just decided that if we made this appealing and not offensive, and you know, not what are you so stupid? How do how how do you guys not see what we're doing? That people who are already watching documentaries and going through the list on Netflix, that this would be something that they would be attracted to. I thought, in particular, I thought Thaddeus Russell was excellent because I could listen to that guy all day long. I don't know about you, but he just has a way about him. His calmness, his I don't know, it's something about the tone of his voice how well-spoken he is, how thoughtful he is. I was so glad to see him in it. Are there particularly happy moments in it? Or are there parts of it where you say, this was killer? Like, I'm so glad we did this or included this or talked to this person. Well, the one person that I wanted to see talk about you know, the horrors and the history of education in the country was Thaddeus. I mean, that is just... He doesn't even, he doesn't have to read anything on that. That's just flowing from him. So that whole section towards the beginning where he's just laying out exactly what government schooling is, is to me, fantastic. I mean, Dave talking about um, doing your, and crediting you about the propaganda of, you know, what if, from the first day someone stepped in school, it, Walmart ran the schools and all the CEO pictures and everything. That was... Yeah, what I didn't like about that is that his rendition of my analogy was much better than mine. <laughs> <laughs> and then at the very last minute, someone that we brought on, Cody Smith, he actually provided that animation of George Washington turning into Sam Walton, chopping down the cherry tree. And mm. I thought that that was, that was a mm. great visual. And um, he's also responsible for the intro, which is something that people talk about too, which I think just came out, you know, fantastic. But the, there were, I like the section that I can't remember the gentleman's name right off the top of my head. I feel like a heel right now. The section on Sharon, Mexico, where the city in Mexico, where they kicked out all the politicians and they just basically run it as a, um, started running it as a commune, but now they're looking to import businesses, you know, real commerce going there, inviting companies in. I thought that was very helpful. And um, Max Borders talking about panarchy was, was also some, because I learned, I had heard Michael Malice talking about it, but not calling it panarchy where, you know, you and your neighbor could have different subscriptions to different governments. You know, or, or I don't want a government, but your neighbor does want a government. And why can't, you know, why can't we just change, uh, change our leadership, the leadership that we might want just by picking up the phone and calling and getting to hear more from Max Borders. I think that part right there, the average person listening to that, I think that can act, is one of the things that can actually stick with people. 
and yes. people. Connect. I actually felt the same way about that very section. Yeah. I actually thought, you know, I'm in the midst of these ideas all the time, and yet, and I, I'm sure I've heard it put this way before, but it's been a long time, and that is thought provoking. By the way, I think it's a, I think it's actually a, a fortuitous that there turned out to be another film called Stateless because I like the monopoly on violence because stateless that word. I think if to the extent that people even understand what it means would make them nervous. But now you say the monopoly on violence and now you're using, instead of making people nervous about anarchy, you're making them nervous about the state because you've got two negative things in that title, monopoly and violence. And no one is taught to think of the state that way as holding a monopoly on violence, even though that may be the technical definition of the state. How many people go around talking about the technical definition of the state? Instead, they think about what they were taught on Schoolhouse Rock, on, on weekend cartoon mornings, and what they learned in the elementary school about the benevolent people in charge and how a bill becomes a law. They're not taught anything about it being the monopoly on violence. And there's something deeply unsettling about that expression, the monopoly on violence. That sounds highly undesirable. So I think it's a, I think it's a better title. And it's... I've heard a lot of people actually use it without knowing our documentary lately. I think I heard Tim Poole talk about it in a documentary recent. I mean, in a, in one of his videos recently, where he was talking about all the rioting and everything, the response to the George Floyd killing, and I mean, it just couldn't be a better time for it to come out. And you are right. I think the one thing that is great about that title, The Monopoly on Violence, is that people are supposed to hate monopolies. People are, you know, that is something that we are taught. You know, you, you look at Milton Friedman on Donahue getting attacked for, well, this would become a monopoly. This People hate monopolies. And um, yeah, I think it, it really actually speaks to people. And I don't remember exactly who came up with it in, in our in our little group. There was like six of us going back and forth, but um, it I think it was originally the monopoly on force, and then it became violence. But yeah, that was. I'm so glad that it didn't stay stateless. But I do like having the production company called Stateless. That's uh, that that actually. Yeah, I like that. Says something when people look at that. That actually people can be like, hmm, what's going on there? Who did the overall? writing of the thing, that is, deciding the topics that would be covered and things like that. And who made those decisions? Well, that was collective from the start. It was just getting together and going, okay, what do we want to talk about? You know, it was things like, okay, we need to talk about education. We need to talk about the Fed. That was, I think, I think almost, I think 75% of the people we interviewed, we asked questions about the Fed and then we just picked out the best ones. Um, War, we knew we were going to talk about war and we knew that Scott was going to have to be in it for that. And after that, it was just Chris coming up with, um, Chris coming up with ideas and looking at like some of the questions that I was writing and I would submit to him. And then we'd be like getting ready to do an interview or we'd be in the middle of an interview or something where we pause and he'd say something like, well, what about this? You know, what about this subject? Can you ask this question? Or, and I was coming up with questions on the fly when we were recording a lot of the interviews at Mises U last year. So 
Um, I'm sure you you noticed that that was the Massey Library um, <laughs> in, on, on the third floor of yeah. the Mises Institute. Yeah, I, I did indeed recognize that. <laughs> I've sat up there many a time in one of those chairs because nobody thinks to look for you up there. Yeah, you can. So if you don't want anybody to bother you, you sit in the Massey Library. But yeah, uh, I, I really have to. I mean, it, from the start, we just knew we, we were writing questions, libertarian ideas. What are what are the topics we talk about the most? Uh, there were things that, you know, there were what I call the three subjects that we're, we're not going to broach because it always gets libertarians fighting. And, and you could probably think of them right off the top of your head, what the three subjects that we weren't going to touch. Um, and we just wanted it to be a something that we wanted it to be scholarly, just scholarly enough that, you know, it didn't look like idiots. But we also wanted it to be simple. We wanted it to be in language that people could understand and subjects that tug at heartstrings for, you know, when we wanted people to get emotional. So yeah, I think once everything, we knew everything that was going to be in there, we added some things towards the end, getting videos about like Cheron and um, food, not bombs, things like that. And we wanted to talk about mutual aid societies because, you know, it's such a big part of... Uh, yeah, path. yeah, yeah. In fact, let me jump in on that. I was wondering if you were going to hit on things like that because there's a good deal of material in it that's rather theoretical on the theory side, like the Michael Humer stuff about the problems with democracy and stuff like that. And I love that stuff. I think his book, The Problem of Political Authority, is one of the great contributions to libertarian thought of the past 10 or 20 years. I'm a huge fan of his. But the thing is, I could imagine somebody on the left who believes in the state saying, okay, maybe you got me on some of these arguments that, that yeah, logically it is hard for me to support the state when, on the other hand, I wouldn't accept democracy in every aspect of my life. If, if, if I'm out with nine friends and they vote that I have to pay for every, all their dinners, I wouldn't accept that as legitimate. So I, I get that, you know, you kind of got me. But I'd rather be philosophically inconsistent and make sure poor kids are getting fed. You know, I could easily see somebody saying that. So I was glad you took that on with the stuff about the fraternal societies. And, you know, a guy who's good on that, by the way, it's too late now, but um, the guy who literally wrote the book on that subject is a professor at the University of Alabama named David Beto. I've had on the show a couple times. Uh, that goes to show this isn't some pipe dream that we in, invented or, or, you know, that this isn't some fantasy. This really is how people... Uh, provided for each other in the absence of the welfare state. So that that material on how they got health care and stuff and inexpensive health care, that was indispensable because otherwise, as, as you know, as, as I was saying before, I think some people are perfectly happy to live with philosophical inconsistency in exchange for making sure that poor people are taken care of. Yeah, yeah. So we definitely wanted to put in there some sort of mutualism. Because you know, mutualism, if it's voluntary, I mean, really, who can argue against it? So, you know, there were other things. Um, there were other parts. You were asking, like, um, like favorite parts. Um, I think Peter Klein just nailed everything that he said. In this. <laughs> that guy's amazing. He's perfect. Yeah. He's like, if you were going to put together a robot for a documentary, he's perfect. The way he speaks, the cadence and everything, and his section on the entrepreneur, that's, that's like one of my favorite things in there. I, I've probably watched that section the most out of, out of any of it because um, 
that's not something that the normal person hears about how important the entrepreneur is. As a matter of fact, the entrepreneur is usually, they try to equate the entrepreneur with the evil CEO. And I think, you know, Peter did a great job of um, talking about the entrepreneur and, you know, making him the hero because he really is. Let's talk about how we get people to watch this thing. I don't think necessarily, I mean, I'm not against sending a link to your friends and posting it on social media. You absolutely should do those things. But once you watch it, you should think about having a little viewing night with a few friends who might be, not friends who are hopelessly hostile, and we all know what those people are like, but somebody you know who has a genuine independent streak, who might be a little curious about your crazy opinions and all that. And then afterward, I think a really good discussion could ensue. You know, what did you think the strong points were? Did you, do you look at things a little bit differently now, or do you have some unanswered questions? I think it genuinely could generate a nice, friendly, non-heated conversation that could bear some fruit. I think that's happening already. People are telling me that they're sending it to their normie friends and the reaction from their normie friends is positive. Robert Beeler, who is Stateless Productions, is myself, um, Chris Kofer and Robert Beeler. Robert sent it to a friend of his from childhood and he said that he had ne- like this isn't the kind of guy who starts post post political stuff on Facebook, and like for the last week he's been posting political stuff on Facebook, and it's all in the direction of liberty. So we're already getting feedback from people who who've seen it, who you know aren't in our orbit, who are just raving about it and saying that the arguments that are made in it make sense and that they're hard to refute. We really haven't had anyone. I mean, we've had a couple people in our orbit say, oh, you know, I don't like it. You know, it's probably because, you know, it's just half of it shot at the Mises Institute or something like that. You know, those people. But um, we've already gotten feedback from people who, you know, aren't even political and they're enjoying it and it's inspiring them. So, you know, we... We have a, a couple tweaks we're going to do on it before we get it on to, to Amazon because Amazon's going to be the first streaming platform that we're going to put it on. And then after it's on there for a while and you know, just check out what the reception is and everything, then down the line, probably a month, a month and a half, we'll submit it to Netflix and see what they say. And then, wow. yeah, so Amazon is pretty much a done deal. I mean, Amazon, I mean, Cody Wilson's, a documentary that he did on printing firearms and Bitcoin was on Amazon. So they're very open about as long as it's done well and as long as you know there, there's no animal sacrifice in it or anything like that. Right, right. Um, they're they're good about um, sharing, you know, letting you use their platform. Uh, Netflix is going to be the one that is going to, you know, we might have to call in some favors and talk to some people who know some people there, but. I mean, that's the way we're, I mean, right now I checked before we started recording and we have over 37,500 views on YouTube. Yeah, that's, that's great. Especially for a documentary of this length on a, you know, let's say unfashionable topic, you know, that's, and you're just getting started with the publicity, honestly. Well, let me ask you for right now, people can watch it on, as I did on, on YouTube and I'll link to it at, 
tomwoods.com slash 1672. Now, you all have to promise you're going to watch it on Amazon also so that you can get the bonus materials and keep on supporting Pete and his colleagues. But I guess what I want to know is this. Somebody watches this documentary. At the end, I would prefer to see some kind of an action step for them. Okay, now your worldview has just been turned upside down. Goodbye. I don't know. Maybe they should sign up for something. Maybe you should send them to a website, get their email address, like whatever, so that you can keep on, I say this in jest, propagandizing them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Is it, so you, do you hear what I'm saying? It's not a criticism. It's, it's a, a hope. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously we have the, the website address uh, for the movie and everything in the credits. But yeah, that is that is something that I, I should talk to Chris and Robert about and see if we can come up with something. Hey, you know, look, I'm always telling people what to do. That's just just my nature. Yeah, it well, can't be helped. I learned a long time ago that if I'm going to take advice from somebody, it's going to be someone successful. So I'm listening to you. Oh, I was just about to say, but instead of that, you got Woods here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, give me your parting words. Tell my audience. Uh, let's say 70 to 80 percent of of whom are reasonably well read in libertarianism why they should watch i watched it and i've read all the books and everything and i got something out of it and i thought it was time very well spent well i think that anybody's going to get something out of it because i'm very well read as well and there are things that i learned from sections that i had nothing to do with so you were talking about mutual aid, about our section on mutual aid. There's our section on panarchy, um, the whole section on the history of anarchism. I mean, there are people listed in there. I mean, we were talking about going back 3,000 years, talking about the Orient, um, talking about colonial America. And I know that when that section was sent to me and I watched it, I was like, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that at all. And, you know, so I think everybody's going to learn something, no matter how well-read they are. And plus, I mean, there's just, if, if you already agree, just to be able to see you know, yourself and Bob Murphy and David Gordon talking, David Gordon talking about Murray Rothbard, I mean, what's, what's better than that? Um, Lou Rockwell talking about Ben Franklin. I mean, <laughs> this, it's just... We also wanted it, we talked about one of those things where um, if you had like a get-together of libertarians and caps, agorists, whatever, that it would be one of those things to throw on so that everybody could just, you know, watch it and um, you know, just feel, feel like hanging out with friends that are on the screen there. So, Well, in a way, it's like the more you know, the more you'll like it because you'll say, hey, I know that schmuck who's on the screen. <laughs> like, I know that guy. Hey, there's Murphy, you know, like all these people you've, you know, you've listened to and whatever, and there they are, uh, you know, talking about the stuff they know best. Yeah. And I appear in it twice. Uh, I talk about the police, which is one of my, you know, one subject that a lot of people consider me to be an expert on quote unquote expert. And then I talk about podcasting, but you know, there was another whole section in there with me talking that I cut out. So, you know, that I said, take that out. This just self-indulgence at this point. I mean, we were really serious about this. We wanted this, you know, th- this wasn't some thing to indulge ourselves. This was a passion project where we knew we weren't going to make any money off of it because documentaries, I don't know if people realize this, but 
people can people are selling documentaries to like Netflix for like sixty, seventy thousand dollars, things like that. And we were like, even if they wanted to buy it, we want to keep control of this. You know, we think that this thing is too important. There's nothing else out there like this. Um, we want this to be something that everyone who believes like we do can share with a friend. And that was the whole design of it. The whole design of it was to be that somebody who doesn't know anything about what, we, what we're all about can watch it and get something out of it. And to make them think. I mean, just talking about the history, you know, with James C. Scott talking about the history of how governments, how the modern government came into existence. And then you have, you, know, you have Judge Knapp. I mean, did you know we got Judge Knapp? I did not. I had not known that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was just one of those things is we're at Mises University. I go down to his office. I'm like, you want to come up and answer some questions? He's like, is it going to compete with Fox? And I'm like, no. He's like, sure, give me a half hour. And we get him up there and we get him talking about the Constitution. And we, we also got some footage of him talking about Waco and Ruby Ridge which is going to be in the bonus features. And so, you know, we got right at the beginning, 10 minutes in, people are seeing somebody they've seen on TV before. And then Thaddeus jumps in and just destroys Prussian schooling, the Prussian schooling model. And it's just, I think that, I think that the normiest normie can watch that first 10 minutes and start to ask some questions. Well, I'm, again, I'm going to, strongly urge people to watch it, to watch it with friends once they've watched it alone. Uh, the The link will be at tomwoods.com slash 1672. I'll, I'll embed it right there. You can watch it. And once it's up on Amazon, I'll put out a reminder to my folks. So make sure people watch it there. And because to me, the, the bonus material is going to be half the fun. Because when I was listening to some of these people, I thought, gee, I could stand to hear this person going on and on and on about this. And now I can, <laughs> thanks to the bonus features. So <laughs> it's, it's really great. I'm, I'm so glad you did it. I, you must be so exhausted that the very thought of another documentary would just pretty much kill you. But guess what? Have you, have you thought of a follow-up project? We've already outlined it. <laughs> Oh, uh, you see, you're a glutton for punishment. <laughs> we were outlining it today. <laughs> Well, what, what we decided was we were going to do a bunch, and this is such a gigantic overview. Now we want to take certain topics that were in this documentary and make it into its own documentary. So we'll, you know, get down in the weeds on certain things. I won't, I won't say what the one next one we're doing is the subject, but if anybody's been watching the news the past week and a half, they might have an idea what we might be doing it on. Well, I can't for the life of me think of what that could be, but well, <laughs> sounds great. Well, thanks again, Pete. Best of luck to you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. All right, that's going to do it for another week of the Tom Wood Show. I have not forgotten my ebook on the police. That thing is coming out next week. No matter what, doesn't matter if it's the last thing I do, I'll be getting that thing out to you next week. I'll give you the URL where you can go download it. It's going to be great. It's going to be better than anything anybody's doing. Because I've, it's not just me writing it. It's mostly really, really great libertarians, living and dead, who have written on this subject in the past and who one can hope will be listened to today. So uh, stay tuned for that. And if you like and appreciate what I'm doing, please support the show and join the Tom Woods Show Elite. 
which is my great discussion group over at supportinglisteners.com. See you next week. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com.